Welcome to the Holistic High Performance Podcast with your host, Daniel Christofferson. Today's guest on our show is Jennifer Wheeler. She began her athletic career as a Division I collegiate runner, morphed into a Rat City Roller Derby skater, and then into a professional road cyclist at age 29, competing internationally at the highest levels. She retired from road cycling to pursue a career at Microsoft. But in 2016, she came back to cycling, and in 2018, she won a national championship in the 3K pursuit and competed with Team USA. Now, while working at Microsoft, she and her husband have founded the Pacific Northwest Cycling Team, Fount Cycling Guild, with her husband, David. She is also the mother of an 18-month-old son named Wolf. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hi. I am so delighted to have you on, and... Tell our audience a little bit more about how did you go from being a runner to a skater to a cyclist? Well, I guess I've just always had that competitive nature in, in me. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was the typical distance runner in the sense that I was always a bit bigger than everybody and kind of be like, how is this girl making it? I mean, if you think about division one collegiate running, you think about these blanky people and I, I think that my ability to suffer and learn through that kind of helped me fuel my cycling career. I already kind of knew the fundamentals of what it took to be at the high level. And then in between there, I remember watching a skating tournament at the Rat City Roller Girls and uh, seeing these skaters who were just unbelievable. And I'm not very coordinated, but I was like, I want to be that. <laughs> So I figured out where they practice and got skating lessons in Everett and just really worked at it until I made it. And I think that- How long did that take you? Oh, like a good year. Um, I was really bad. (laughs) 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 Um, So my skate name was Arsenio Brawl and I definitely was like Arsenio Fall for a long time. The big thing about me was I fall a lot, but I get up so quick. And I think that's sort of my mantra in life you know, if you will. So, so how long did you skate for? Oh, I skated about two years and, and I had a lot of fun, but you know, roller derby is a bit different now. I think it's way more competitive than it was in 2009. It was kind of more of a, if you think about like WWF, like it's real, but there's a lot of glitz and glamor that goes into it. And I think there was a camp of roller skaters who really wanted to take it seriously, like a division one sport and another that wanted to keep it kind of fun, like, like, you know, with all the burlesque stuff and all that uh-huh. And I think a part of me really missed that competitive bit. And so that's when I started dabbling in the cycling world. So you started dabbling in cycling and you have this strong drive to kind of compete. So tell us how long it took you from dabbling to becoming a competitive cyclist. It actually took me a little over a year to get signed to a pro team. So that's, that's not super common. Um, you have to, you have to earn points and graduate through the ranks per se. So you have to go through categories and then get yourself to big races And at that point I was not working at Microsoft. I was working in a small business and I didn't have like a lot of money or anything like that. So I do remember uh, reaching out to the community and having a blog and like, you know, having kind of a, that time they didn't have GoFundMe, Mm -hmm. but I had like a ones for Wheeler, like a dollar. And a lot of people in the cycling community would donate five bucks. And I was able to 
buy plane tickets and get myself to some bigger races and compete and do well there. And then after that, I got signed to um, TIPCO professional cycling team. So that was a huge accomplishment for me at about, I think it was age 29 at that time. Yeah. I don't think people realize like the, we see these professional athletes or, you know, people out there and they're like, Oh, it looks so glamorous. But I mean, so many athletes are, you know, they're working two jobs. They're funding all of this themselves. I mean, there's not a lot of money for sports in a lot of ways. I mean, if you're at a high, high level, you get paid, but to get there, you have to self-fund yourself. Especially in women's sports. I mean, you know, in women's cycling, some of the people that had gone to the Olympics twice and you know, they would be lucky if they made $30,000 a year. So I definitely used my degrees from college and did editing on the side, but you have to race 52 plus races a year. They pay for your, you know, all your travel and your bikes and everything else. And they give you a little bit of money depending on how good you are, but it's really difficult to do that without, you know, somebody to support you financially and emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, kudos to the people that are able to do it and follow their passion in that way. So you got a sponsorship, you're out there, you're competing pretty, sounds like pretty much every week. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a contract. It's, it's like your job. Yeah. Not every week. Like sometimes you would be gone like for months and they just fly you around like from race to race to race. So and then when you're not racing, you're training. training. Yep. Mm-hmm. So how long did you do that? Two years. Two years? Yeah. And so tell me of- about the wear and tear. What happened on your body? I'm kind of going at that level at that speed all the time. Well, yeah. So two years is not very long doing it. For me, I had several concussions. I mean, you're racing at 30 plus miles an hour. Lots of people. I was new to the sport too had a lot of endurance, but definitely need, still need to learn the technical skills part. I kind of felt like I went in full throttle. I mean, after a year, I was at the biggest races in the world with world champions next to me, you know, thinking like, I felt like I just got thrown in by my own choice. Right. But I understand why people do a progression. And I mean, honestly, I felt super burned out. And then after the concussions and everything, I remember my last one lying on the ground and just being like, F this shit. I don't want to do this anymore. I remember being at like one of the biggest races in the world, Flanders at the start line and seeing kind of the grand Fondo people like do it prior or the day out before and thinking, wishing I was with them versus at this huge opportunity. And I think when you get to that point where you wish you weren't there and you know, like it's time to maybe take a break and get rebalanced. So you just left. I, I did. I, I just, I had talked to my team director and I had finished out some of my obligations, like helped her with sponsorship and stuff like that. I mean, I had that to offer as well as I was 30 and had careers and stuff. So um, yeah. And then just finished out the year. And then just, honestly, I just barely rode my bike for the next four years. So tell us how you came back to wanting to get back into cycling after that. <laughs> Well, there seems to be a trend here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think again, like, I feel like I have a lot going on in my life, in my head. And even when I was cycling, I sort of missed being creative, using my brain, things like that. And so I had kind of flipped the switch and was working a ton and, 
you know, not doing a ton of self-care and the tense of athleticism or not feeding that part of myself and sort of denying it like, oh, I don't need that. I can do whatever. And it's like, you can't just put that away, you know? And I think for me, I had seen some of my teammates, um, some people that I had been on the podium with in the 2016 Olympics. And I was thinking like, well, if I would have stuck with it, maybe I could have been there. And so then of course I get this great idea, like, oh, I'll just come back to the sport. You know, women actually do better when they're older and et cetera. So, yeah. And then I was like, well, I keep my job. They're flexible. And so that's kind of how I jumped back in. So that's when I met you. Uh, it was 2016. I had just spent like three years with five athletes that were trying to go to the 2016 Olympics. Yeah. And it was this wild ride, you know, you're traveling around going to national competitions with them and they all made it to like the final round. And one of them continued on. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, wow, that was like this huge energy. And I'm so glad that's all done. <laughs> and then a month later, <laughs> you showed up in my practice and you're like, Hey, I'm going to the Olympics in 2020. What do we have to do? <laughs> I thought it was more like, Hey, I'm broken. Fix me. <laughs> so tell me a little bit why you thought you were broken. I mean, I think at that point I was doing a lot more weightlifting. And again, I had taken a lot of time off and I think that I just, I wasn't very flexible and I just needed to, you know, everyone had always talked about, Oh, you got to get a massage. You have to do this and that. Mm -hmm. And and I think for me, I was trying to get to where I wanted to go as quick as possible. And so I knew adding in self-care, adding and taking care of my body off the bike was really important. And I had heard that you were the best. So hello. <laughs> <laughs> so we took you through the Hellwork series. We did some work beyond that as you were training. Now you didn't come back as a road cyclist. You switched. Oh, to track. Well, no, what, yeah, to the track, uh, you know, so you didn't come back in with a sport that you were competing in as a cyclist before you kind of switched right. to becoming, um, I mean, they're, they're very similar, especially for the pursuit. I came back to do the individual pursuit, which is basically a time trial on the track. I had chosen that too, because track, you can control the variables more. You're mm -hmm. either competing in an indoor space, or if you're competing outdoors, you can't compete when it rains. And then the course is the same, you know, it's more predictable. Of course, I wanted more control over that sort of thing. So that's why I chose track. And there's an Olympic event, um, the team pursuit on the track. Whereas like there is road cycling, but it's a lot harder, I think, because to go through the process and earn UCI points, whereas being on the track, there's more like qualification times and things like that. So once again, you've made a decision like, Hey, I'm going to do this and you throw yourself into it. And you know, you were training full-time. Now you got a coach that was helping you this time around. Yep. Several um, of them. <laughs> several coaches. Yeah. So you're getting some body work. And so tell us kind of how that progressed for you. Well, let's see. I, I think that, you know, I had thrown myself in and on paper, I had said, okay, these are all the things I need to do. I need to do this with my strength and this with my body and this with my workouts and, and kind of following that rigid regimen. Again, I really wasn't paying attention to, Hey, are you even liking this? Are you having fun? Is this what you want? You know? And, and I kind of started slipping back to that mannerisms, like weighing my food, doing everything like 
as long as I do these things, I'm going to get to where I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't working for me. Like I was not nearly the cyclist I had used to be, you know, and remember I started cycling because I wanted to have fun. It wasn't like, so I was bike commuting and I saw someone fast and they're like, you're pretty good. You know, you should go cycle. And so this time around, I was like, I'm smarter. I'm more calculated. I have more money to throw out this. And, and it, it really didn't get the results that I had wanted. And so I think at the point where, you know, after a couple of years of doing it that way, I think I was like, I'm going to need to quit. And then I met David again. I mean, I had known David for 10 years, but we randomly reconnected after running into each other. Well, it's not like you didn't get anywhere because you won a national title. <laughs> you win well, the was, games. Yeah. I mean, I think what I mean is the national title came after I readjusted myself. I mean, again, it's hard to say like, you know, oh, if I would have done it this way, I would have gotten this far. I mean, maybe those first year and a half or two, you know, was kind of part of the process. I mean, I did build up a lot of strength. I did learn a lot of technique. I did learn a lot of, you know, uh, tactical stuff. I mean, I did uh, open up my body and get it ready back to where it was. And so I think for me, I can't dismiss all of that work that I did to help myself because I was so regimented. Mm -hmm. I think it was just a matter of kind of going what, like, okay, you've developed this foundation now what? And I think when I met David, he got me born into road cycling again. And then I took that road cycling and it, and then started just doing that. And then all of a sudden I got better on the track. So, you know, and we also did a lot of, um, more evaluation on what's missing. And I rode with a lot of groups and added in a lot of fun aspects. And so we just kind of took the training to the next step. So I think that was part of it is that you were very focused and rigid and you'd gotten kind of narrow in your pursuit. And so you met David and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, I'm starting having fun and I'm opening things up again. Yeah. Like if I found more balance and, you know, it, then David also provided a lot of um, emotional support in the sense that he is a top level cyclist. He's a excellent coach. You know, he, he knows all of these things. He's seen cases like mine, you know, mm -hmm. just cycling like so many times and and yeah, so I ended up taking 10 seconds off of my pursuit time in 2018 and I won the championship in 2017. I think I got fourth. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then winning and I, you know, I won, I won significantly in the first round and that was, that was really exciting for me. Cause I felt like I knew it was in me and I was so frustrated cause I couldn't seem to find it, I guess. And then for 2018, it was sort of this validation that I'm not just some egocentric person that thinks I'm so great that I, I, it was there and I did it. And that, and that was really kind of the accomplishment for me. So you won the national title and that qualified you to go to the Pan Am games. Yes. Yeah. And I got third there, um, by like a half a second, but I will say I didn't have that half a second to get second, you know, so you gave everything you had. I did. You know, sometimes people lose by a half a second. They're like, only if I, and I got to say, I didn't have any only if I's that was what I had. And so Pan Am games, and then you started training with the U S Olympic mm -hmm. team. Yeah. We started doing a lot of pursuit practice and being in Colorado Springs at the Olympic development center. So that was a, that was a really cool experience. And so tell us kind of, sounds like there was a values kind of experience there too, of like, Hey, you know, you're 
39 now at that point. Yep. Yep. Um, and so kind of tell me what, what happened for you there? Um, like you, you've all, you're that next step away from going to the Olympics in a couple of years and you made some big decisions again. Yeah. Um, again, I was still with David at the time. So, you know, and we, I mean, we're still together now, but I'm saying I was with him. So Mm -hmm. again, if you think about balance and fulfilling different pockets in your life, um, I mean, I had been single up till then. Sure. I've had some relationships, but nothing like where I'm going to get married or something like that. And so I always wanted to have a family, um, have a kid, that sort of thing. And then just the balance in the sense that when I went to the Olympic training center, you would think that, wow, that might be someone's dream come true to, you know, be able to train and compete and be asked to attend these practices. And, and honestly, it's like, I got there and it really wasn't, it's like you walk in and the record scratches. It really wasn't what in my head I envisioned had envisioned it would be, you know, uh, I was, well, you were at a different stage in your life. Yeah, too. I mean, we yeah, talked about it, this a little bit before we started the show and you were sharing with me, it's like, Oh, I mean, the people there, they were, you know, kind of in a click and camaraderie yeah. and, you know, on the, on social media and like posting things they're doing and you were there to work because you had a goal. Yeah. I mean, I think that all of those people are definitely there to work. They're just 20, 22. I mean, they're like where I was when I was, you know, well, I wasn't at the Olympic training center, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Nine, they're like 19, 20, 22. I mean, I was the old lady there. I was like, I remember there was a, I mean, there was a woman that came that was like 41, Katie Compton, who was an amazing athlete, 20 national titles. And when she arrived, uh, we just kind of sat on the bench and, you know, did our old people jokes. <laughs> like, I didn't know what TikTok was and everybody's talking about who did who and who's kissing who and, you know, lunchroom chatter. And, and luckily I'm not stooge like I can play along but that's not necessarily fulfilling to me and he's sharing a dorm room with three girls or two girls and you know kicking the air conditioner to try to get it to work this isn't a life of luxury I mean those yeah, girls yeah. are there because that's all they want to do with their life is do that and it requires that kind of commitment and so you know and it's a learning process for me I definitely wasn't the best on the team there was a lot for me to learn I think I had potential. Of course they saw that, or they wouldn't have invited me or they would have cut me or whatever. But when the coach called me and invited me back to practice, it was just one of those moments where it's not a sure thing. And Mm -hmm. do I really want to do this for two more years? And I was like, no, like, no, thank you. Appreciate it. And then I was like, okay, that chapter is over. So that chapter closes. And so tell me what opened up after that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, well, I had a baby. So something opened up. <laughs> <laughs> well, so honestly, right after that, my partner, David and I, he was, he was working at a different place that he had owned with a different partner. And we just had this vision to provide for people a place that they can go and reach their highest potential like regardless of where they were in their life. So basically a way to close the gap from wherever they are to wherever they want to be, whether that's a new athlete wanting to ride the, ride a bike and like compete at any level, or whether that's like, you know, a seasoned athlete who wants to compete at the pro level. 
So that's kind of what Found Cycling Guild is about. And we structured it around, you know, what worked for us over the last 20 years, whether it's in collegiate sports or cycling and tried to create that environment for them so they can kind of, so basically kind of roll down the red carpet and help them fast track by, you know, not, not by helping them overcome things that maybe took us years and years to overcome. So kind of trying to provide that wisdom in a space to reach their highest perform highest potential. So you're taking all those experiences you had of how you've thrown yourself into these things and advanced very quickly and mm-hmm. kind of condensing that down and providing it for others to learn from your mistakes and learn from the things that worked well for you. Right. And be hands-on when it's needed and hands-off when they need to grow themselves. And since I was pregnant, the first year we founded the team, I didn't have um, training and stuff as much. So it was able, it was give me space to do that while growing a baby. (laughs) So So what's your vision for Fount Cycling? It's like a fountain. Think of a source. (laughs) My vision, uh, well, I'm training now. I'm on the team. Um, I have no desire to win myself, but I feel sort of like my vision is to develop enough girls for the girl women's team that are strong enough so I can quit and just be on the sidelines and help them. Um, right now I training, um, train hard cause I want to be a good example. And with cycling, you know, it's very tactical. It's very instantaneous. And I feel like same with David. He's on the men's elite team. Being able to be there and help on the bike coaching is like so valuable. If you think about, you know, training or something, if you can just say, no, yes, you're like right away, they know exactly what you're talking about. And we have so many people that are just new. It's like, it's very grassroots. They came from other sports. And so my vision is just to keep growing the club, keep creating opportunities for juniors and, you know, other people to have a space that they can, you know, fulfill that competitive part inside them. Where can people find out more information about what you guys are offering? Yeah, yeah, um, it's on our website, www.fountcycling.com. We have a whole website talking about our team, what we do, what we offer. You know, we have, um, we have like weekly three or four like training classes a week outside. Um, we do like one hour intervals together. Think about in college, you always ran together. You always trained together. And we're like, why, why lose that when you become adults, you know, provide a space where everybody can, you know, have camaraderie and a community where they can grow together. So that team community, I mean, that really does help drive things along and kind of keeps people motivated and showing up and it's, yeah, it creates that balance. And I think, you know, going back to what we talked about, about balance, like I remember I came in and I was all hunched over, like, <laughs> like, like a 40 year old woman, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and you have to, I mean, you have to have a balance and part of that balance is having a community. And again, going back to what we talked about in 2018, you know, before that I trained alone a lot and it was mm-hmm. And, and I found a community with David in 2018 and it changed everything for me. And some people don't, aren't like that, but usually humans are humans and having that kind of support and people around you is really the difference. So what would you say are some of the big lessons you've learned from sport and competing that you kind of could apply in all areas of your life? Um, you're not worth anything unless you win. No, <laughs> <laughs> No. Um, let's talk about that, Jennifer. <laughs> I'm seeing a belief system here. It's like, you know, it's, I was, I think I mentioned this the other day is sort of like, you can, you can 
go to therapy and figure out why it is that you want to compete or win so much. And you can say, Hey, this isn't rational, but it doesn't mean that it ever goes away. I think it feels good it, to push it, yourself to those high levels. Yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of times, you know, people mistake it. It's not about crushing somebody else's soul. It's about being at your top level for yourself, whatever that looks like. That best, the best version of you and, you know, yeah. capitalizing yeah. on all that hard work and dedication and the sweat and the tears that you put into right. it to, you know, right. see those results. Right. And I think that's what it's about. I think so sport definitely taught me that it definitely also taught me like, if you want something, you got to go do it, you know, today, like figure it so out, taking action. Yeah. Cause Make, you can't. Ma- making the decision and kind of that, that dedication. I mean, as I listen to your story, that's one of the things that comes through of like, you decided like, Hey, this is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. And then you organize your life around that and you just made it happen. Yeah. And I think with sport, nobody can give you your results, you know? I mean, unless you're like, like, unless you're like a cheater, but (laughs) you know, I mean, but in general, nobody can give you results. Like nobody can make the basket for you. Nobody can run the time for you. So it's very pure in that way that you put the work in, you get your results. And I really like that about, you know, sport. And I definitely, now that I have a baby too, you always think about the principles you want to teach them and what you don't. Mm -hmm. And I, and I always kind of joke with David, like we have to, what's the right level of you know, abuse to make it where he wants to do something, you know, it's not like, we're going to love you. Even if you sit on the couch and never help out around the house, we love you unconditionally. You know, it's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> like we have to figure that out. Like, how do you make sport fun? You know, how do you, te- how do you teach that drive? How do you, I don't know, because I definitely want it to be healthy. And I think that's that balance that you just kind of have to like go with it and figure out and use your instincts. I was talking with another coach recently on the podcast, uh, coach James Lawrence, and you know, he shared something similar you know, one of the biggest challenges he has in working with young athletes is that, you know, there's been this mentality of like, everybody gets a trophy. Yeah. And while it's a nice sentiment, it doesn't actually encourage that development of that self-growth and that self-worth. Oh yeah. I mean, even though I really love my victories, I can still feel exactly the terrible, you know, my results. I mean, even though fourth, you know, in a national tournament is good. I remember feeling so devastated and unworthy at that moment. And I feel like that really fueled me, you know, further and people might listen and be like, okay, you know, but it's really what you, what you've determined for yourself or your expectations for yourself. I mean, I think about your other guest, Melanie, I mean, I'm sure she hates getting second, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, one of my guests did mention, it's like, you know, it's always nice to be first people. Yeah. It's okay to be third because you've made it and people hate being second because, you know, you didn't make it all the way. And so, um, I was, I was thinking about the girls too. And, and I talk about the girls. I mean, we have an amazing team of guys too. We, and we all train together. And I think that's what I really love too, about our team. It's super inclusive. There's not like, Oh, the girls need to train by themselves. Like, no, we, we want to throw down with the guys and the guys welcome us there. And, you know, like we're all competing against each other, which, which I love. But the other thing I was going to say is that I really want them to win. (laughs) And again, like I'm fine sacrificing my whole race to help somebody get that feeling. 
And I think for me, I'm really motivated on how do I help these people taste what it feels like to accomplish something. So yeah, it's just kind of a different way of looking at it. And, and to me, I'm not motivated anymore. Like if you were like, Oh, if you don't train hard today, you're not going to win that race. or you're not going to get that time. I'm like, yeah, give me a glass of wine. I'm fine with that, but I don't want to let down my team. And so at this point in my life, I feel like I've transitioned to that, that, that stage. Yeah. Well, as you shared, um, you're in a different stage in your life and you know, you have cultivated that, like you've taken it to the extremes of like, Hey, this is all I'm focusing on and everything goes in this direction. And so, but now you're, you're wanting to cultivate more balance in your life and you can have to, I mean, you have more demands on you. You're, you're working full-time, you have, you know, a son, you have a partner, you have another business, uh, you have, you know, other aspects of self-care and things that you want to do as well. Yeah, so I mean, I you're just not willing to sacrifice as much. I think you can relate to that and that that's constant struggle on what goes first. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, having children, your whole value system does get shifted. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's fascinating to watch. Yeah. And until you've had children, you, you just never know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> that means I, I was going to say, like, I've, I think I've done a lot of really cool things in my life. I've done a lot of hard things in my life. But the best moment in my entire life was, you know, the day that Wolfie was born by far. And I can, I was telling David, I can totally see why people have more babies because they're like, I want to get high again. <laughs> like that was like the most incredible day of my entire life. And, you know, so I just, I, yeah, bar none. What do you see the biggest challenges people coming into your club face? That's a great question. I think it's coming in with some sort of ego that you should be at a certain place, which is, which is great. You should have that. But if you get dropped, like not coming back because you're going to get dropped. I think that's the, the point. And when I say get dropped in cycling, that means that like, you can't hang on to the pack. You know, if you think about any other sport, you just, you didn't lift the weight. You didn't, you know, mm-hmm. run the mile, whatever. But I think the people that succeed at our club and in this sport, because we, we aren't really a social club, even though we are a social club, like that's not our principle. Like we're going to be a social club. We're very competitive. And I think the people that succeed are the ones that come in, get dropped and go, I'm coming back and I'm not quitting until I'm there. And, and that's not for everybody, but that's, Mm -hmm. that's basically about what the club is about is giving that hundred percent all the time wherever that is, whether it's, you know, I made it up the hill once, like we're not, you don't have to be a superstar. We just want you to want to reach your highest potential and be willing to put in the effort. I mean, what, I mean, you feel like, I feel like this, you must get athletes all the time that come in like on the edge, you know, almost desperate for like help because they're at this point where they're breaking. I mean, do you experience that? Yeah. I mean, I would say in my practice, there's, I have the athletes who come in who everything's going well and, you know, they want to be on the podium and they understand that kind of that focus that you were talking about, like everything has to go into supporting their goal, you know, and the really successful ones are the ones who are able to 
do that in terms of, you know, my practice is called holistic high performance. And for me, I mean, that really is like, let's look at your whole life. You can't go train for two hours and then come home and sit on your couch and play video games for eight hours, mm-hmm. you know, and not, not be not breathing and eat pizza and then expect to be on, you know, the best at what you do. Right. So to get that high performance for me, it really is that natural state that we have of like, Hey, this is what's your highest potential you know, what, what's the most there, but to get there, you really do have to look at all areas of your life and kind of how do you have balance, but how do you also support your goals and your dreams? So some clients come in, you know, and everything is fine. And we're, we're just looking to optimize their bodies. We're looking to help them. I think I used an analogy with you of years ago with like, if you were riding your bike and it's all bent up, you can do it, but it takes a lot of effort. You know, if my handlebars aren't lined up with my front tire, it's like, oh, I have to turn my handlebars this way. And if my frame's bent and (laughs) yeah, I can, you can ride the bike, but you're not going to be fast. And you know, you're going to, you're going to end up contorting your bike, your body to fit the bike. Whereas if you're on a nice bike that, you know, is all finely tuned and completely fitted for you, you're able to go a lot faster, a lot farther and more efficient. Right. And same thing with our bodies. You know, if our body's not tuned up, if it's not in alignment, if our joints aren't working and sequencing well, we can still compete. We can do things, but over time, it's going to break down. It's going to, we're going to start to see some injuries. We're going to start to see things that happen. And so what we do at Holistic High Performance is it's really about, you know, let's put energy into your body. Let's get everything balanced and lined up. So you have the most optimal, efficient body to perform with. So you can continue in the sport as long as you want without necessarily breaking down. And you see this with gymnasts and people who, you know, they get injured and then they come back really fast and they just keep going and then they get injured again and again. And eventually they kind of get to the end of their career and their body has so broken down. It's so injured that, you know, they can't compete doing what they love to do. Right. Um, And there is another way to do that. And so having the structural integration, the body work, all the other things that can support you in your body and that self-care and self-care isn't a one-off thing. It's really something that you kind of rhythmically have to do. It's something that, you know, if you're, especially if you're competing, you want to be continually, you know, checking in um, because you're pushing your body and you want to make sure that you have that recovery time and making sure that everything's lined up and fine-tuned because that's, what's going to allow you to have a career that you can be in it as long as you want. And, you know, then you can choose when you want to end. There was just recently a article that I read, Russell Wilson on the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, he spends a million dollars a year on his self-care, um, right. but because he does that, you know, he was able to secure a $140 million five-year contract. So that that's that investment in yourself. I do have athletes who come in who are <laughs> injured and, you know, they've got a meet coming up and we've got to kind of turn it around as fast as we can. But that element of being able to, you know, have the time and optimize your body beforehand is ideal. And at the same time, you know, we can definitely make changes. And, you know, I can't tell you how many clients is like, Hey, I've got the big meet. I've got the big competition, you know, it's coming up in three weeks and I just did this and I need to be ready to go. And so, you know, we do what we can to kind of make sure that we get you there, but the best way is to kind of really be balanced. And before we kind of get to that point. I think from what you said, something that resonated to me was, you know, you talked about this athlete that's coming in, getting fixed, getting injured, coming back, getting fixed, getting injured. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of goes to this whole life story thing, you know, that we are talking about. It really is a matter of not doing the same things over and over and over and over again, the same way. 
but kind mm-hmm. of taking a step back and taking inventory and balance on everything, you know, in your life on what's important, what's fun, where are you, what do you need versus what like is on paper on what you think and really trusting your instincts on that. And I feel like over the last 20 years, that's kind of been my biggest life learning point is usually if I trust my instincts and do what I want to do, I usually get where I want, where I want to be or where I need to be. And I think some of that comes down to, you know, you mentioned on paper and that usually means that there's like a mental plan. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we've mapped it out like, Hey, this is what's going to be the safest way. This is what makes the most logical sense. Right. And that will work if we kind of have included our body with that. If we've really included like all of those emotions and those feelings and everything else, because if we don't, you know, we're like, you had the experience of like, Hey, everything mapped out on paper. I checked all the boxes. I got to where I was and it didn't feel like I thought it was going to. I'm extremely unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) How about that one? (laughs) So, I mean that, but you had a want, you know, but it was like, Oh, it didn't really fulfill what I thought it was going to fulfill. Yeah. And, but then if I would have just done emotional, like I would have just written what I wanted to and probably burned mm-hmm. myself out and all this other stuff. So, you know, like you said, it's a balance and probably the progression progression is what, what needed to happen to get where I need to go. I, will well, say- and it, I was just going to say, it, it really is a process. And for me, that process of taking somebody through the series, it's it, what I like about the Hellwork series is that there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And, you know, we kind of hit the reset with that, but it is really about the, in anything you do in life, it's the process and you don't often know where that's going to get you, you know? So all of those lessons that you've learned have, you know, brought you to where you are now. And, you know, you have the knowledge and the skills to be able to provide for your team and the, you know, the people that you're working with. And so you get to take that past and all those, all those things that you've learned and harvest that and bring it forward. Right. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Jennifer. It's been a delight talking with you. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. You can find all the past episodes of the show by visiting holistichighperformance.com. Please subscribe to the show to listen to future episodes. We release new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show would not be possible without the help of our team. We wish to thank our executive assistant, Harlow Brummett Dunn, our producer and chief technical officer, Dan Harmon of DH Productions, our podcast mentor, Angel B. Hartwell, the host and executive producer of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. Our theme music was composed and arranged by Luca Millard Kish. On behalf of the whole team, we wish to thank you, our listeners. Mm-hmm.